Yo, what's up? I'm back. Yeah. I feel like I always say that, man. I've missed you guys. I miss this room. I miss the guided gatherings. Man, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm that Asian guy that you don't see a lot and you miss and you think is dead and you don't see him for five episodes and he makes that comeback. Uh, man, I feel like that with fresh kicks and a fresh fade and uh, man, and I feel I feel like that in a lot of ways. But man, I can't really I can't believe it's almost been a year. Yeah. Since we we've then got to gatherings, yeah. and I I miss seeing everybody. Mm. I miss being in person. Um, I can't wait till the day that we are able to meet in person. Um, you know that it's been a minute when you're running out of uh, well pens and you're running out of your stash of well pens. Man, I can't even find them anymore. I need a re-up. I need a re-up, man. But in all seriousness, man, I can't wait till we meet in person. Yeah. And I really feel like it's gonna be a taste of heaven. Mm. It's a longing for that. Yeah. And I can't wait till we do that. But until we do that, man, uh, we about to go to war today. You all ready? Yeah. Man, I got my camel pants and my, my boots strapped up. Yeah, these are boots. I don't care what you say. Um, and we're about to go to war. So let's, let's go, as I say all the time, let's get it. Let's get it. Man, we are continuing our series in Nehemiah and the faithfulness and the faithful call of God's people to understand the vision of God. Right? We have seen the last couple of weeks the faithful call of Nehemiah to the historical rebuilding of the Jerusalem wall. Mm-hmm. And we see in Nehemiah chapter 1, which Tori kind of set us up, who receives the vision from God and begins to what? Pray fast and mourn, seeking God in the vision that he has called him to do. Mm-hmm. And then we see in Nehemiah chapter 2, through fasting and praying, what he begins to take action by asking what the foreign king to carry out the vision of God. There is boldness in him asking and having faith and knowing that this is God's vision for his people. And then last week, we looked at the work that begins to unfold in the plan of the rebuilding of the wall, right? That everyone, I mean, everyone came together to carry out this vision, right? And rebuilding wall. And oftentimes, God works in community to encourage and begin to do the work that he has called us to do. And I hope and pray this last week that you guys have felt the call and the importance of understanding what it means to do life together in community that begins to shape the, the vision and, and play out the vision of God. Mm-hmm. And man, so far, it seems like things are going well, right? The foreign king is fronting a couple mil, right? Uh, the people come together. They're singing Kumbaya, right? The daughters are building. The sons are building. The fathers and the mothers and the grandmothers are building. There's rainbows and bunnies and unicorns coming out. Uh, I got to give my Steph a little shout out there. Uh, and they begin to rebuild the wall, right? They begin to rebuild the wall. Things are happening. But here's the thing, right? Every great story has a villain. And oftentimes when you're doing God's work and walking in his will, opposition will strike back. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would almost argue that if you do not feel opposition at times come at you, you should really question if you're doing God's work. Hmm. It's not a matter of if opposition comes, it's a matter of understanding when opposition comes. And here's the thing, do you have an answer for that? Hmm. Well, do you have an answer for that, right? What do you do when opposition comes? What answer do you have when things begin to unravel? Because the fact of the matter is that opposition comes in waves and begins to engulf you and you begin to feel trapped. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, I wish, I wish all the moments you experience will be joyful 
But to be honest, how can we say that every moment is, in, is joyful because we live in a world in which if every moment was full of joy, we wouldn't yearn for that which is to come. Wow. That's really good. That's good, and because of that, family, we will face opposition. Yeah. We will face opposition. It's a fact. It's a fact. And as God's people, we shall not be afraid yeah. of opposition. Yeah. And that's the thing that we want to go at knowing that it will come, but in the midst of that, that we will prepare our lives, that we would polish the pistols, prepare for battle, pass the pump. That wasn't wasn't me. That was Tupac Shakur. (laughs) Um, You guys didn't think I would uh, 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 quote Tupac in this (laughs) this sermon, right? What does that mean? It means to buck up, prepare to scrap. Sorry, what does that mean? (laughs) In other words, that we would get ready to rumble. We would get ready to rumble. Right? So these are my three points, okay? <laughs> y'all understand that? Y'all tracking with me? Uh, these are my three points. The aim of opposition, the response to opposition, and the victory of, over opposition. So let's go into our first point, the aim of opposition. Uh, let's read Nehemiah chapter 4, 1 through 8, where my good friend Renji will read. Hey guys, my name is Renji, and I'm a covenant member here at The Well. My wife Sarah and I currently lead the Agave CG on the east side, but we'll be partnering with The Well long-term in planting 100 churches domestically by planting with Juhan and Christine in the domain next year. But today I'll be reading Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 8. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stolen wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plowed together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Man, um... Y'all didn't know that Renji was going to church plan with us, right? <laughs> so, surprise, surprise. Man, thank you, brother, for reading that. But here's the thing, right? When the vision of God is being played out, opposition will begin to rise. And as opposition comes, we as God's people, do we cower and run or do we keep pressing on and being reminded of the vision and the promise that God has for us, yeah. right? Because look at what is happening, right? The walls being rebuilt, I mean, it meant security, it meant protection. As we see the beautiful picture and the harmony of the community coming together, the voice of the enemy begins what? Begins to feel threatened, mm-hmm. right? And what does he do? He begins to deceive, manipulate, mm-hmm. and attack, ultimately leading what? To discouragement, yeah. That's what it says. Look at verse 1. Sambalat, after he heard that they were building the wall, he says he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, right? It doesn't just say that he was upset at the situation, but it says that he was greatly angry. When God's work is beginning to happen, the enemy is greatly angry. 
right? And the means of attack they do is they mock, they ridicule, they threaten, hoping that God's people would be ashamed, embarrassed, and discouraged. In verse 2, look what happens, right? What does he say? He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they even restore it? Will they, will they sacrifice? There's so much work to do. They are perfume, perfumers and farmers. Will they finish it? Man, look what's the point of building this wall. Don't you see that you're building a wall? You're not building a new wall. You're building a wall that's already come down, right? Do you see the burned ones in that rubbish? That means a wall already came down. What's the point of you building this wall? What difference are you making? And then on top of that, you know, Sambala, and we see his yes man, man. There's always that one guy that in all fights that always is like, yeah, 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 right? Um, I don't know. I call him Johnny. If you're Johnny, that's, I don't know why I said that. But anyways, in all seriousness, here comes his yes man, Tobiah, right? And what does he say? Like this comment is so pointless, but look what he says. He says, he says, yeah, look at that wall. It's falling apart. What are you going to do? He says, even if a fox goes on that wall, it'll crumble. <laughs> what the heck? Do they even have foxes there? Like, what? where is he coming from, man? But he says that, right? And they're mocked and they're ridiculed. They say things like, you can't do that. It's dumb. It's a joke. They should just give up. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. In all that they said, if we're really paying attention and we're going to be honest with ourselves, they're actually telling half-truths. Mm-hmm. They're actually telling half-truths. They, they, there was just enough truth in the lie that they said. Yeah. Because let's be honest, right? They aren't rebuilding a new wall. They are rebuilding an old wall, meaning the first wall fell. And it's probably hard to do, right? There's grueling hours of repetition in the midst of hard work and long hours where you look, when you look at something and ask yourself, is this even worth doing? How many times have you guys been there? I've been there, right? And it's in the midst of when that is happening that the enemy comes. And that's what's happening, right? That's what's happening. Here comes opposition, and the aim of opposition is to tell you half-truths and deceive and discourage. But ultimately, it's to take your eyes off the work that God is doing. The power of God's vision to rebuild the wall wall, is not that these bricks would give protection, but that God himself is doing a work. And it's God himself who protects. The aim of God's people is not just to see the work that needs to be done, but it's remember the one who has called you to do the work. The far greater truth is that God is doing a mighty work in Nehemiah and rebuilding the wall. The enemy will do whatever it takes for us to become blind to the power of God. And that's what it means to listen to the enemy. And isn't this so true, right? Isn't this so true? Even in the simplest ways, like it's almost the end of January. I'm sure we had New Year's resolutions and all these things. We wanted to read scripture and all these things will happen. But what begins to happen when you do a reading plan of scripture? You start reading, you you start getting devoted and slowly but surely what happens? You start getting what? Distracted, right? And the enemy tells you a lie that says, man, you could be doing something better with this time. Or it's like, you, you're reading scripture and you don't get like this revelation from God with lights coming down and unicorns coming and all these different things, right? We don't get that. I know, right? But the enemy begins to attack and takes your eyes off the story of God and the redemptive history in his word and you become distracted, right? Or even these guided gatherings, even these guided gatherings, right? Yes, it's been hard. COVID has been hard, right? Not meeting together has been hard. And if we are not careful, we listen to the lies of enemy that say that these guided gatherings are not worth doing. That we don't want to wake up and lead our family into worship. I say that all the time. I wake up in the morning and 
And sometimes I don't want to watch the God of gathering. I listen to the lies of the enemy. Why? Because he's distracting God's people to keep your eyes on God and what God is actually doing. And we do that. It happens subtly. It happens subtly. And that's what's happening. We need to understand the work of opposition. That in the vision and the work of God, the enemy begins to prowl. And the enemy attacks trying to break you internally by deceiving you and giving you lies. So Nehemiah, what does he do? He prays. He prays. And in verse 6, he presses on. And what do the people do? They rebuild. But what does the enemy do? What does the enemy do? In verses 7 and 8, it says this. Now when Sambalot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. So all of them plotted together to come fight against them. Jerusalem to make trouble for it. This is what he does. What a chump move, right? He goes and he gets his homies. <laughs> he goes and gets his homies. And he surrounds the people. And they tell a half-truth to stir up doubt. And right when they begin to take your guard down and lose focus, what does the enemy do? He strikes. He threatens God's people. And the threat of defeat begins to what? Discourage the nation. And no longer do they see the mission and vision that God had, but see the enemy wants them to see, and they become discouraged. Think about it. The king that, the foreign king that provided money was a miracle. And it was a miracle. And they understood that it was a miracle, but they, yet they forgot that, that it was God that orchestrated all things because of the strike of the enemy. And this is what they said. It says this, but Judah said, the strength of the carriers is, is failing and there's too much dirt and we are not able to build at the wall. And notice at the exact moment when there's discouragement, the enemy says, they will not know uh, when or, or seek until we come upon them and that we will kill them and stop the work. That's what the enemy does. Because they are hearing the voice of the enemy, they become discouraged and forget the power of God. And isn't that what goes on today? When we are faced with opposition, we begin to hear that voice. And if we as God's people are not careful enough to begin to be deceived in the lies that the enemy makes, then we begin to let that creep in, doubt ourselves. And in doubting ourselves, we begin to doubt the vision of God. And ultimately, we begin to doubt God himself. And in that, you no longer hear the truth of who you are, just as we say, as God's children, but become deceived by the lie of the enemy. And the lie of the enemy always is not to build you up, but to utterly destroy you. And as that begins to happen, what what do you feel? You feel guilt, shame, lost, discouraged. And you stop gazing at the truth of your identity as a child of God and the work that God is doing through you. It's not about if opposition opposition comes, it's when it does. Mm -hmm. Are you preparing yourself for impact? Mm -hmm. Man, this is kind of uh, bad. This is a funny story. I think Chris knows it. I was on my way to uh, a men's morning prayer one day, and I was driving, and it was like, what, 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. when we were going. And as I was going um, in Canada, uh, where I live, as I was going to, okay, I was, I was going down Palmer, I saw in the corner of my eye like a deer was coming, right? And I had one or two choices in this moment. Like, and I actually, when it comes to fight or flight, I'm a fight, right? So I, I pressed back. So this deer's coming, and a lot, of, a lot of people, the logical thing they do is they break, right? But it, since I was born and raised in Colorado, they taught me to never break. They taught me to just power through it, right? So I looked at this deer, and I looked at 
I was gonna say Bambi, but I wanted this deer coming. I knew that I couldn't avoid it. I knew that impact would happen, but what did I do? I braced myself for that impact. And as that happened, I just went right through it and my car got demolished. But here's the thing, I didn't get hurt. And I didn't get hurt because I knew the impact was coming and I braced myself to see that that was coming. People of God, that's what we need to do. We have to brace ourselves that the impact of the enemy is going to come. Are we preparing ourselves for that? Whose voice are you listening to? The voice that leads to death or the voice that gives you life? The voice that says, I will chew you up and eat you? Or the voice that says, I will come down, be chewed up and die so that you have life? The voice that leaves you in chains and guilt? Or the voice that says, I will be chained and trialed as guilty so that what you have freedom? The voice that says you are unworthy or the voice that says, look at my hands and feet and the nails and these pierced me, I will die for you. Why? Because you are worthy. Do not listen to the lies of the enemy. People of God, opposition will come and we need to prepare for battle, setting our eyes on the promise of God. And look at the response of opposition. If we can read, or our good friend um, Hannah is going to read Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9 through 23. Hey guys, my name is Hannah Woosley. I attend the Far West Community Group and serve in the college ministry at The Well. I am also really excited to be joining Juhan and Christine as part of the staff team for their Domain Church plant. I will be reading from Nehemiah 4 verses 9 to 23. And I prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When your enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan We all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leader stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. 
So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Hannah, for reading that. Y'all didn't know that we already have another staff member coming to the church plan. Oh, man. Thank you, Hannah, for doing that. Man, here's the thing, right? When opposition arises, what does Nehemiah do? The first thing he does is he prays. He prays in verse Mm 5. He prays to God. And although it's a prayer of justice to happen to the enemies, every time Nehemiah is brought into opposition or anything, he prays. But look at what he prays. He prays for God to take vengeance, right? And you you would think that there would be a huge battle scene that begins to happen where God's people will be claimed victorious. And you think that, right? But what happens in the midst of prayer, God does not change the heart of the enemy. He often changes the heart of his people. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Right? He reminds his people of his faithfulness. Yeah. And the response in verse 6 is what? To buckle down, remember the vision, to continue to press on, and remember that God is a God that fights our battles. Yeah. People had to, a mind to work. The prayer was answered in the people of God, right? Oftentimes, the prayer reorients the people's heart to remember that it is God who called them. And the vision is from God. Prayer builds confidence in the work of the Lord. And Nehemiah in his prayer begins to shift his posture and remember the vision and the promise. And while there's opposition that arises, it's not just a wall that is being rebuilt, but it's what is the people of God that are being built. More than the wall being built, the people are being built. And as that promise that God has for his people, as we turn to him in the midst of opposition, family, the truth alone should give us confidence to know that when opposition arises, we have an answer. And it's reposturing ourselves and looking towards Jesus, looking towards God and praying. God, oftentimes that opposition come on our way because it's a reminder of the dependence that we have in him. Let me say that again. God oftentimes lets opposition come our way because it's a reminder of the dependence we need on him. And it's through that prayer that God's people do not just stay still, but what do they do? They take action. Prayer gives us confidence in times of opposition to trust in the Lord what to take action. Prayer leads to action always. In verse 16 and 17, it says this, From that day, half of my servants were working on craftsmanships. Half of them were holding spears, small shields, bows, and breastplates. The commanders were behind the whole house of Judah. The ones who were building the wall and the ones who carried the materials were carrying in one hand while doing the task. And with the other hand, they were grasping a weapon. God's people who were discouraged begin to have confidence in the power that God has that leads to action. Nehemiah turns to God. Instead of fighting fire with fire, he knows who holds the fire. Mm. He makes his prayer to God, sought the Lord, and Nehemiah understood what to set watch. Our call is not that we pray and do nothing. There's action that begins to unfold as we become partners to the work of God. And throughout scripture, we see the power and the sovereignty of God and the response of his people. Mm. I'm going to read that. Throughout scripture, you see the sovereignty of God, and then you see the response of his people. Mm. It's both. There's prayer, and then there's action. Pray and stay the path. Pray and keep the vision. Pray and keep pressing on. And remember, pray and go. Here are jarring prayers to God. Then all things they pray, they cling to the Lord. And in that prayer leads to action. Pray and set guard. Because oftentimes, here's the thing. We pray and we don't act. Mm -hmm. And we do actions, but we don't pray. 
But here Nehemiah leads his people in saying, no, we do both. Yeah. Charles Spurgeon, who has a commentary on this, and uh, he's a theologian and somebody that I love and respect, and like all of our quotes are from Charles Spurgeon. This is what he says about this. He says this, Dear friends, neither of these two guards is sufficient alone. Prayer alone will not avail. To pray and not to watch is presumption. You pretend to trust in God, and yet you are throwing yourself into danger, as a devil would have Christ do when he tempted him to cast himself down from a pinnacle of the temple. If you pray to be kept, then be watchful. Prayer without watchfulness is hypocrisy. A man prays to be kept from sin and then goes into temptation. His prayer is evidently a mere piece of mockery, for he does not carry it out in his own practice. (laughs) Dang. Ooh, that breaches. <laughs> right? And it's that prayer that begins to reshift God's people to keep pressing on. Yeah. You see what happens? Nehemiah is a great leader, right? He's leading the people, someone who's focused, someone who's committed. He's disciplined. He's devoted, spiritual sensitive, and always setting his face on and towards God. Mm-hmm. If we are to become what God wants us to be, we as God's people need to model Nehemiah, constantly reminding one another to pray and press on. Mm-hmm. Pray and act. That is happening. It's the faithfulness of God's people and the small things that accomplish the big things. Man, I, I'm going to be honest with you, a little upfront. Man, right when God actually had called us to church plant, we felt opposition. It was probably one of the hardest years of, of our lives. Oftentimes when a pastor or somebody wants a church plant, there comes opposition. And our family has never felt so much spiritual warfare than we did in this last year. Right from people we love to circumstances. We had a miscarriage in this year, and even fundraising has been difficult. And on top of that, like in all of that, right, where I'm supposed to be building a core team and, and build relationships and do all these things, what happens? We're hit by COVID. People often tell me that we are crazy trying to church plant in this climate with everything that's going on. And there's been numerous times where I almost wanted to give up where I would listen to the lies of enemy and then I would be discouraged. But because there is opposition, it does not change the will of God. It does not change the vision of God. God is still at work yesterday, today, and forever. Even in the midst of COVID, that God is still working and God is still doing a work that people are committed to leave with us and plant with us, that the community around us is the vision for the kingdom. This right here, all the people that are here, the well in itself, in the vision of planting 100 churches in the U.S. and 100, inter- 100 churches internationally is a reason for encouragement for me to keep pressing on, mm-hmm. for me to keep remembering, to keep my eyes on God. The fact that the elders and staff and the people of the world would give me confidence to encourage me to keep pressing on and remind me to set my eyes on the Lord and to pray. And here's the thing. In each opposition comes, God leads me to my knees with one prayer over and over and over again. He says, God reminds me who's in control, who's in control, and gives me the strength to press on. That's who we serve. And every time I pray that prayer, God gives me a heart to stay faithful and keep pressing on to keep faithful, and to continue to go. And every time God begins to open doors, and I know that I couldn't do it alone, and ultimately it's God who is carrying that out, that we're able to plant in North Austin in a year's date around this time. Mm. Man, God is good. God is good. Man, third point, remember the victory. 
remember the victory, right? Here's the thing. So we as God's people need to guard ourselves, not if opposition will come, but what I said, when, when opposition will come. And 2 Timothy 3.12 is clear on this. It says this, Indeed, all, not some, but all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Yeah. As the opposition comes, we are reminded to pray and press on, and we're able to pray and press on. Why? Because of the great victory. Verse 14 and 15, what does it say? It says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, What? Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Almost said homies. (laughs) Might as well be homies, right? And then in verse 20, what does it say? In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. And it says, Our God will fight for us. In verse 7, we see Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Amorites, and the Ashdodites, these five people, these five groups who were uh, plotting against and surrounding and engulfing the, uh, the Israelites. They were concerned, and the waves of opposition were crashing down on them. They felt that their backs were against the wall. And it's oftentimes when you feel like your, your back is against the wall that we need to remember who and where our victory lies. Yeah. Because time after time, what, what does God do? God sends a savior. Nehemiah had faith that the victory was his because of the promise of God unfolding. He knew that what God would bring victory, that God will fight for us. And isn't that such a, a, a reminder of God's love, right? Where do we see that? We see that through all scripture. In Exodus, we see the Israelites who had their back against the walls where Pharaoh and his men were coming down. What is the, what is the God said to Moses? He says this, do not be afraid. It says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And what happens? The river splits. And again, in Joshua 10, again, where five Amorite kings come to him, God tells Joshua, it says this, do not be afraid or dismayed. And it says, be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Again, in Isaiah, when Hezekiah comes to him, what does he say? He says, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with that which young men of king of Assyria has reviled me. Behold, I will put in spirit him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And it says, I will make him fall with a sword in his own land. And again, in Jeremiah, what does he say? He says, do not be afraid. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Time after time after time, God shows his people, do not be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. Time after time, God delivers his people. Time after time, God is showing the deliverance of his people, that God will send a mediator, that God is a God who will fight our battles. That even when things seem impossible with sin and death, that God would send what his son and in his ministry, Jesus tells his people, what to not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I have arrived. It's in Jesus that we get when the disciples are out on the sea, right? They're out on the sea. What does the Son of God do? He walks on water. He walks to his disciples. And when they see this figure that comes to him, what does he say? He says, take heart. Do not be afraid. What is he saying? I have arrived. And you would think that Son of God, when he arrives, what? You would think that he would take vengeance. You would think think that there would be a great battle scene, a great victory. And we begin to see him smite evil and do lightning bolts and do all these things with curly hair and riding a unicorn and doing all these things. But what do we see? What do we see? 
We see the Son of God where we are discouraged when he was dead. Jesus who became naked so that we are clothed. Jesus who took it all so that we have victory. Jesus who took the battle to die so we have what? New life. Jesus who would fight our fight so that we will never have to be afraid. We have a divine warrior. And when it seemed like his back was against the wall and, and, and death came to Jesus on the cross, what begins to happen? Matthew 28, 5, after Jesus died and Mary and Mary went to go see the tomb of Jesus, what does the angel say? It says this, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus. It's almost as if the angel is saying, do not ever have, you, you don't ever have to be afraid. Yeah. Ever, ever, ever. Because he is not here, he is risen. And Jesus appears to five people, five people, or five groups of people in resurrection day. He who fought the battle so that we never have to go to war. That we will never have to be afraid because the victory is ours. And here's the beauty of all things. If you are here and you're struggling, don't you know that you have a divine warrior? You have a divine warrior that is fighting your battles. Don't think that when opposition begins to tell you these lies and that you have these lies and all this guilt and shame from addictions, whether it be pornography, whether it be sex, whether it be all these different things, that the enemy will tell you that you're not worthy. But here's the thing. If God has the power and the gift and the ability to raise his son from dead, doesn't he have the ability to take you out of darkness into marvelous light? That is the victory that we have. That is the power of the resurrection. That what death has been defeated, that now what we don't get to live in fear, but we like to live in freedom. Yeah. Yeah. We get to live in freedom. Yeah. That's the joy and the power of the cross. Is that for you? Do you hold on to that? Yeah. Do you know that? What good news. God is at work. Do you believe in the power and the work of Jesus? Mm-hmm. God is good. Man, let me conclude with this. After Nehemiah prays and takes action, After he reminds his people to not be afraid, he sends the people out. Verse 17 and 18, he says this. You were were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each laborer on the work with one hand and his weapon on the other hand, and each of the builders has his sword strapped to his side while he was built. And Charles Spurgeon, after studying this passage, started a magazine called The Sword and the Trowel. And what that means, a trowel is, 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 if you guys don't know, it's a gardening tool to build, right? And the imagery that we get is God's people have a sword in one hand. I'm being intentional. Look at my hand. A sword in one hand that goes offensive and defensive. But as God's people, not only do we have a sword in one hand, but we have a building tool on the other hand. That God does work that makes disciples, that builds community, that builds the church. It's both things that fight opposition. Family of God, I pray that we be a church that loves the sword, that builds the city, mm-hmm. that makes an impact mm-hmm. to fight opposition. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, O Lord, for the beauty and the truth. We thank you for the joy of knowing what it means, O Lord, that we have a divine warrior. That no matter what enemy, the enemy tries to deceive and tell us half-truth, oh Lord, we know the truth that we are worthy because your son would die for us. 
And because of that, we get to share in the victory. There's confidence in knowing, oh Lord, that when the opposition comes, that we will not be discouraged, we will not be ashamed, we will not uh, go weary, or we will not be exhausted because we know that it's your son that did all those things that we now get to share in the victory. So Father, would you make that the resounding truth of our lives? If there is somebody here that's listening to the guided gathering that, that has not heard that truth, oh Lord, will you invite them? Will you invite them to know this? Will you invite them to know, oh Lord, that when the world wants to chew them up, that you want to build them up? So Father, we pray. We pray against opposition. We pray against the lies of the enemy that we would be a people that would have prayer and action, that we would set our eyes back to you and remember the joy of what it means that you are a father that fights our battles and that you have won the victory. We thank you for all things. We love you. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.